I encourage people after a first very in-depth interview where you have determined they have the basic skills and they fit our culture. So using the baseball diamond analogy, once somebody has made it to second base with you, we'll take a look at what they're good at because it not only looks at their call reluctance, but it looks like at what they're good at. And there are certain people that are just so good at leveraging relationships. And isn't that what an agency owner wants? So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Chris, I think our audience is going to find today's podcast incredibly interesting. Our guest is Connie Kandansky, and what she's going to be talking about, she has an assessment for sales call reluctance. And to be honest with you, I mean, I'd heard of sales call reluctance, but to be able to test for sales call reluctance was something I had never been exposed to. What are a couple of things, Chris, throughout this podcast that our listeners are going to pick up? Number one, telephobia. What is telephobia? What are the different types of sales call reluctance and very specific things that are stopping your team members from picking up the phone and what you can do about it, how you can actually motivate them to pick up the phone and get things done. So today's episode is not only informative, but it's also incredibly packed with actionable advice. So without further ado, let's get into it, Bradley. Google makes it easy. Swipe a card, pay for marketing. Sure, you get a few more phone calls, but they have nothing to do with your business. The truth is Google can't understand the buyer's intent. Enter Matt and Maddie Jonesa, the husband-wife duo adding intention to your online marketing game. As a State Farm agent himself, Matt built his business by maximizing the volume and quality of inbound calls. His success led to the creation of DirectClicks, a company helping insurance agents across the country grow their business through online campaigns. They focus on Google ads so you don't have to spread your budget across the internet. With attention to detail and transparency, they provide monthly review calls, exclusivity, and the lowest cost per click. So before you swap that card, contact Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. Again, that's directclicksinc.com. Connie, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. We're excited to have you here, Connie. Welcome. Thank you. Connie, we always love to start the podcast just with our first question of just background and origin story. So can you just give a little bit of background about you, about your journey and how you got to where you are today? I started selling when I was five years old. So my neighbor, my piano teacher, she gave me some of those poppies at Veterans Day and she goes, Connie, I want you to go to every single neighbor and knock on their door and sell them a poppy for a dollar. I never had more fun in all my life. And that was the start. And then a newspaper girl, and then I sold newspaper advertising in high school. And my typing teacher told my dad I'd be a good court reporter. So 
I took a diversion and went to court reporting school. And long story short, I am a salesperson. And so in 1997, I left work and working for an attorney. And then I went into a direct selling business. We did so well. And then all of a sudden, I got hit with call reluctance. And I was taking a nap at two o'clock in the afternoon. And this was 1997. And I don't know how I did it. I got on the internet and I found the book, The Psychology of Sales Car Reluctance by George Dudley and Shannon Goodson. And I read that book and I thought, oh, I've got car reluctance. And so I got into it to overcome my car reluctance. And out of that, I just took to it. And so I became a licensee of Behavioral Science Research Press 22 years ago. So I've been working with people on overcoming their call reluctance in diverse industries. So I hear you say call reluctance quite probably like four times there. So can you please give me the official definition of call reluctance? Yes. So call reluctance is that emotional hesitation to proactively prospect and self-promote. So somebody that they're sitting in their office today and they have their list and they're ready to pick up that phone and punch in those numbers and they all of a sudden go back and look on email and check that out and see how the market's doing. So they hesitate to follow through on prospecting activity. And that's just one example. So how does this differ between call reluctance and then just procrastination? Okay. So I know there's been times that I've wanted to do something and I just continue to do these other things or something that I need to do, actually. Maybe it is to make that call and I just end up procrastinating. So what's the difference really between procrastination and sales call reluctance? Well, procrastination is complex because there are so many different dynamics at work and procrastinating. And I always tell people, you know, with procrastination, We think that we're putting off something that's going to be painful or uncomfortable or embarrassing. And in reality, we're putting off our future success. So car reluctance is truly around the prospecting activity, the moving the self forward. So that's the difference. It's more specific. That right there was just like an it moment for me because actually procrastination is something that I struggle with a lot, to be honest with you. And just hearing you say that procrastination is simply you not doing something because you anticipate that it's going to be painful, when in reality, you're simply delaying success. Like that right there definitely hit a home run with me. So thank you for sharing that. Could you please share with us maybe some of the biggest carriers of call reluctance? Well... It often is surprising. It's the sales manager, the sales leader, the motivational speaker, the sales trainer, that they can actually carry call reluctance and be contaminating the very people that they intend to inspire. So, for example, that if somebody gets a new recruit, A sales leader told me this one time, and he was not aware what he was doing. And he'd get all these new recruits in, and he'd say, on the first day of training, now, people just don't like to be called on the phone. 
right then and there, he was inflicting the new recruits with call reluctance, which is a fear. So call reluctance is a fear, and fear is a mental response to a perceived threat. And so by him inflicting people with his preconception or his call reluctance around telephobia has just potentially stopped people from having confidence in the phone and moving forward. <laughs> I actually like that word telephobia. I don't think I've ever heard that before. So <laughs> I really do like that one. That's a tweetable for sure. So Connie, everybody that's listening to this podcast, they're insurance agency owners around the country with a lot of different carriers, independents, captive agents. And so they themselves typically have built their agencies selling but then they're obviously always recruiting and whether it's salespeople that they're recruiting or that service people that they're recruiting. And it's funny, we actually had a podcast earlier today that we were talking specifically about recruiting and even recruiting agent aspirants and future insurance agency owners. So how can we as a business owner identify on the front side when we are recruiting someone to be in a sales position, whether or not they're going to have sales call reluctance? Well, I'm going to give you two questions that can screen out, and then I'll answer there is an assessment that measures for call reluctance. But the two questions that I always encourage my clients to ask is to ask their candidate that they're interviewing, tell me about your first selling experience. And that is such a fascinating question because when you look at salespeople that are successful, one of the key characteristics is they enjoy convincing people to do something. They just like it and it jazzes them in a way. And so when you say, tell me about your first selling experience, and if somebody has that characteristic, they usually sit up and they'll say, oh, you know what, when I sold Girl Scout cookies or Boy Scout cookies, I had the best time and I enjoyed it. And I'm, or somebody was telling me that they were selling for chocolates for the recruiting for the high school football team. And it was like, what was it about it? And what he indicated, he goes, Connie, I just wanted the prize. I wanted to win. And I was out knocking on doors and talking. To, well, that gives you an indication right there that they enjoy this process. And if you get somebody that you say, tell me about your first selling experience, and they lean back in their chair and they kind of groan, and then they'll say something like, you know, when I was a Girl Scout, my mom took all my cookies to work and she sold them all for me. So what is that telling you? So that's one question. And then the other question is to ask people, tell me about the last thing that you purchased, the largest purchase you have made recently. And so somebody will say, oh, you know, I bought a car. Tell me about the process that you went through. And uh, Somebody will say, well, for six months, I watched Craigslist and I did this and this and this. So what does that tell you? That they're just going to get caught up in preparation. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody in the insurance industry that I was working with one of my clients with after they interviewed him and had him take the assessment. I said, 
when's the last largest purchase you made? He goes, Ray-Ban sunglasses. I said, how much did you for them? He said, $180. I said, what was your process in purchasing those? Oh, he spent weeks on it. Well, how did you end up eventually buying them where you wanted to purchase them? Said, I bought them at a place that guaranteed me they would fix them and adjust them for free if something happened. So there you can glean a little bit. So those are the two questions. And then the subtleties of call reluctance is there's an assessment that measures for it. And it's very credible and highly sophisticated and very complex. And well, I should say comprehensive because there are 16 types of call reluctance. And this measures those types of car reluctance. And you can figure out, is this something we can work them through? Because sometimes it is, or sometimes it can be a real showstopper. So I want to ask a couple questions about the assessment in just a second about who developed it and et cetera. But a couple things about the questions, and I think those are fantastic. So what if you have someone who you're hiring maybe right out of school, right out of college that hasn't had that experience? And they say, well, I haven't had a selling experience. And that's their answer. How would you interpret that answer? Well, everybody has had a selling experience that has gone through college. I mean, they've interviewed for a job. They have convinced their parent to let them go on a European vacation. So if they just kind of blow it off and say, I haven't had a selling experience, I would go and probe And really, you know, like, did you ever want to go somewhere and your parents didn't want you to go and you were able to persuade them to go? So you have to coax it out of them because that is a very lazy answer to say, I've never had a selling experience. Have you ever asked somebody out on a date? You know, I mean, you kind of, so that's what I would encourage. Connie, let's pivot and let's talk about the assessment itself. So, Who developed the assessment? Where did the assessment come from? When did you start using the assessment? Can you tell us about that? Sure. So the assessment was developed by George Dudley and Shannon Goodson, Behavioral Sciences Research Press out of Dallas, Texas. And there are 40 plus years of research behind the assessment. So it's psychometrically calibrated and it's used in your industry is very prominent in your industry. And I'm surprised that people haven't heard about it. Some people haven't. And so that's where it was developed. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents. So we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Tell us just some of the basics about the assessment. How many questions is it? How long does it typically take? When do you recommend in the interview process that someone would give 
this person the assessment? I mean, is it early on in the process or is it pretty late whenever they're down to a couple candidates? And then can you just give a little bit more about the framework of the assessment itself or the report that you get after the assessment? Okay. So the intensive and it takes candidates around 72 plus minutes to take. And it needs to be taken in one sitting without interruption. So we do assess for response consistency. And it's one of the only assessments that measures for embellishment. And so the algorithms are in there that we can find that out. Or people that are choosing answers that they think this is what it's looking for. And there are about 250 questions. So it's comprehensive. I've already said that once. And the report that comes, it's about anywhere from 29 to 30 pages. But what I do is there are only a few that after somebody started using it, that we really can zero in and look at what really is important here. So the assessment not only measures for call reluctance, but it measures for motivation. Does this individual have the energy psychologically and physically to do the prospecting, to do the work? We call that the can-do, and it measures that. And it also measures whether they are emotionally connected to what is important to them, which is the goal level, the want to. So you can hire somebody, but if they're not motivated and they're not oriented to succeed, it's going to be very difficult to be able to develop them unless you have an agency that is just really, really high achieving And when people come in, they just get in that groove there. So we call those the imposters. So it looks like call reluctance, but in reality, there's something deeper that needs to be looked at. So let's say that you identify that you have a team member that has call reluctance, you know, like the next steps be like, how would you go about correcting that and helping them with call reluctance? So if you have a current team member, it is a coaching and development tool. So you have them take it and we review it. We look at it and we design some a development program out of that. So that is with the coaching and development. And you know what, Bradley, I just remembered one of your questions, like where do you use the assessment in your interview process? I encourage people after a first very in-depth interview where you have determined they have the basic skills and they fit our culture. So using the baseball diamond analogy, once somebody has made it to second base with you, as far as the basics, have them take the assessment at that point. And then after they take the assessment, we'll take a look at what they're good at because it not only looks at their call reluctance, but it looks like at what they're good at. And there are certain people that are just so good at leveraging relationships. And isn't that what an agency owner wants? Somebody who will just leverage their relationship throughout the community and it will show that. And so with that said, when you have them take it to second base, then what I do in areas of concern, I provide questions that you can go back to your candidate with. Go a little bit deeper and find out, is this something we can develop them through? 
because it's a possibility that you're really going to be able to develop them through. Or is this going to really be something that could be very, very challenging and you don't want to hire somebody who's not going to succeed in a particular position? Connie, where does this assessment fit with all of the other personality profiles that are on the market? I mean, people are going to be familiar with Strength Finders, Colby, maybe, Myers-Briggs, CTS, Enneagram is really popular right now. Just tell me, obviously, it's measuring sales call reluctance. How do you see it fitting in if an agent is already using some of these other personality profiles and assessments in their process? Yes. So personality is who people are. So is they're an extrovert. They're intuitive. They enjoy challenges, right? And so that's important to really look at the personality component. The sales call reluctance assessment measures what will people do. So it's more of a behavioral assessment on what will they do around clientele building, networking, what will they do when they're in front of a prospect, will they cross-sell, will they upsell, will they really start looking at further opportunities in that conversation, so it's more of a behavioral on what they will do. Hmm, That makes sense, yeah. So talk to us about why should an agency owner make the investment in the assessment, what's the process that they would go through? So they contact you, they have somebody that's in their their recruiting process funnel that they're working through, having conversations, but maybe they're just not exactly sure uh, where that person should go. So why should an agency owner make that investment in the assessment? Well, it's kind of like, let's just say if somebody fractured their knee, they can go get an x-ray But at the end of the day, the orthopedic doctor is going to call for an MRI. They're going to want to see because sometimes those fractures don't show up on an x-ray. And I know that to be true because that's what happened to me. And so the sales call reluctance assessment, which is the SPQ, the sales preference questionnaire, it is the prospecting EKG. I'll say it is the prospecting EKG. So it's going to really look deeper. And you know, we always want to know what people's strengths are so that we can capitalize on it. But you know, when you really look at it, you want to know what will trip people up from being successful. So the sales call reluctance assessment is going to show some mindsets, some beliefs, some perceptions that could really cause somebody to be less than optimal in their selling. So why wouldn't you want to look at that? You know, it's kind of like going a little bit deeper. If you're going to invest in this individual and they're going to be in your office and you want them to be successful. So that's the why. I always look at the habits and the mindsets and the vices like potholes in the road. You hit a pothole and it can really throw you out of alignment. And that's why to invest in this assessment and see it as an investment. Because I can promise you it's an investment. And then the process I mean, with me, you just call me up and we set up an account and you don't have to pay anything ahead of time. You can just simply buy one assessment and just, I need the candidate's full name, 
their email address, and then I teach you how to set it up properly, right? So you want to position the assessment as helping you know how to support them the best. So you never say, I'm going to give you a test because people kind of freeze up and get a little nervous about that. So there is a process in positioning it. And I always share that with my clients. And then you just have them take it. You get the report and you and I talk or I provide the analysis and the follow through questions. And the ultimate decision does lie with the agency owner and they get to decide because I'll never say, don't hire this person. You'll be able to see on paper because we have the red, green, and the yellow. And the red light is like the dashboard on your car. When you see that red light, what do you do? Do you ignore it? Do you keep driving? Or do you pull over and take a look? This is basically like a way to quantify somebody's personality, which is good. I mean, I'm a big numbers guy. That's why I work in accounting. And this to me would fit like the best time to bring up this assessment would be as you were saying, like once this person maybe went through like a third round interview where you're literally saying like, I'm going to make an offer to this person. But first, I just want to see if they have any call reluctance, then that would probably be like a good time to bring this up. But I did want to revisit the question that I asked earlier. So basically, let's say that I'm already an agent. I have 14 members. I give them the test. And then I find that they did have call reluctance. You're saying that the best thing to do at that point in time would be to coach the team member. Do you do the coaching or do you coach agents on how they can coach their team members? Both. Both? Okay. Yes. So I do the coaching or I coach the agent on how to coach these people. And once people understand it, and when I do assess the team, I have a review with that individual separately where I'll review it and I'll talk to them and help them to see what's going on and get them to feel trusting me and to be able to fess up to what's going on. And sometimes when we assess an entire agency, we find out that there's one type of call reluctance that everybody has. That's a major heads up. So if everybody has yield or call reluctance, which is the number one type and it's the most costly, that they just want to be friendly and folksy, they don't want to be pushy, they don't want to be intrusive, that's a heads up to the agency owner. There's something going on in the training and development that is keeping those agents tied up in thinking that it's all about the relationship. Because sometimes people are too nice to close the deal where they're really good at having the conversation. But when it's time to move that prospect into closing the deal, they back off. So that's actually a really good segue because I was going to ask the question about should you also, I mean, because it's so easy to be thinking, okay, look, I've got this person in a sales position. I'm recruiting them for a sales position or I currently have people in a sales position. Maybe they're not performing up to the way that I want them to. They listen to the podcast and they want to get those people tested. I get it. And they want some of that coaching and exactly how to diagnose that. But I was curious about how this all fits with service team members, team members that are not specifically in a sales position, but maybe they're in their position to cross sell upsell, pivot, things of that nature. So can you speak to that point specifically about someone being obviously an insurance agency 
that really they love on their customers. And it is about the relationship, but still being able to how to train and develop them to be able to obviously upsell those customers and deepen those relationships. Yes. And they're the best. And so if you have somebody who is not leveraging those conversations and developing those relationships further and seeing and listening for opportunity, then you can find out that with the assessment. And I love customer service people at insurance agencies because they are kind. They're so relationship oriented and it's easy for them to say, you know what, by the way, you just said that your neighbor had X, Y, Z. I wonder if we should be talking to them. And so it's really training the customer service people to listen to the opportunities and to just be curious about it. And then that can unfold because it's really listening for and seeing opportunities and then just graciously bringing it up and moving forward. So absolutely with the customer service team. If they're not doing that, that's what you could do. Okay. So can you speak to the one part, this is a little bit of follow-up about what Chris said earlier. How often do you see, I mean, maybe you don't have this specifically, but maybe this is just kind of a feeling. How often have you seen people to be able to receive the coaching and overcome sales call reluctance opposed to, you know what, that's who they are. It's not a good fit for them. They need to transition maybe into another position or even out of that business. Well, we see it. I see it. However, if somebody is motivated and goal-oriented and they enjoy the industry, if they really, really see the essential part of the insurance being really important in people's life and they like it. I mean, I have people say, I really like insurance. It's like, yay. If they really like insurance and they're motivated and goal-oriented, the chances of them being coached is definitely there. Now, there are some people that are a little oppositional and they just don't want to be coached for some reason. You can't coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached, but even though if they're motivated and goal-oriented, they want to succeed, they enjoy the business, and they enjoy where they're working, the chances of them succeeding and getting some value from the coaching is definitely there. I've seen it in my 22 years. So when I hear of Colorado and everything we've talked about thus far, you keep mentioning that there's different types of reluctance. So would you mind elaborating on like the typical results that you see? Like earlier, you mentioned the yielder. What are some of the types of cold reluctance that you can have? And maybe you can shed some light on ways to overcome it, even if it's like a little golden nugget. Yes. So telephobia, so Bradley, there's that word for you, (laughs) is not comfortable using the phone. And believe it or not, that's one of the easiest to overcome. I overcame it in one morning in my office and using sensory injection, an essential oil, because when we smell something, it instantaneously takes our brain to another place. And so I'm greatly simplifying this, but it is so possible. So 
Another type of call reluctance that affects agents is referral aversion. So they're not comfortable asking for introductions to other people. And it just keeps them from leveraging the relationships. Now, I know there are certain agents that are really good at this and they set their insurance right up from the very beginning. I'm going to work for you and I expect you to work for me and send people my way your family, your friends, and that kind of thing. So they're really comfortable with that. But the referral aversion, and then also in the insurance industry is the role rejection call reluctance. So people are rejecting the fact that they're in sales. And so they bought into the stereotypical insurance person, that stereotypical, and they it's created a belief that they believe that it's bad, that people don't like salespeople. And what I work with my clients on is all selling is is solving people's problems for a profit. And you've worked hard. You've got licenses and you are solving their problem. And so really at the very essence of overcoming car reluctance is having people shift their mindset. And the mindset being that they're an essential piece of the overall puzzle for their insureds. And really where my coaching comes in that I think is very unique in that I work with people on understanding their personal value. Because when you have a salesperson who understands their value and they know it with every fiber of their body, they will inherently be a better performer. And so I always say, and I have people like, oh, I I can't think that way. I'm a priceless human being. And really having them embrace that they are priceless and they have relationships and connections and a network that nobody else has. And so it's their responsibility and their opportunity to really, really believe that they are valuable. Does that make sense? Yeah. 1,000%. I was just quiet because I was just letting it all sink in, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. That's fantastic. (laughs) I feel like that, honestly, would probably be the best type of like call hesitance because of the fact that if I were to be coached and my coach was just telling me, Chris, you're amazing. You're a priceless person. I'd be like, you know what? Thank you so much. Not only am I going to apply this to work, I'm going to apply this to the rest of my life. And I feel like that's, you know, just making somebody feel special. So it's my two cents. Yes, because when people are confident, they're transforming that fear, that call reluctance into focus-related thinking, feeling, and action. And so that's what confidence is. And Because whatever we believe, we will create situations that validate that belief. So if we believe that people will be receptive to us, guess what? If we believe that people will introduce us to others, guess what? So it does take some work and it takes some coaching and some of that inner work in order to convince people of their value. 
Connie, this has been fantastic. And whenever, after we do the rapid fire, I want to give you the opportunity to share with people exactly what's the best way for them to be able to get in touch with you. But before we get into that, is there anything that we missed or that you wanted to share with us? Well, when you really look at how to overcome car reluctance, there are two different things. It's not prospecting that causes people anxiety. It's their thought about it. So when I coach people with call reluctance, I coach them in how they relate to the prospecting activity. So we don't just jump in and coach the call reluctance. It's how are they relating to all the different components that bring in business. So that's one thing. And then the other one is, so here's it where, because think about it, you're ready to pick up that phone and make those calls. Let's just say that you're working on promoting more life insurance this week and you reach for that phone and you hesitate. What is it that is causing you to hesitate? What is that negative intruder that is causing you to hesitate? And there's usually a theme like, oh, they don't need life insurance or they don't want to talk to me or all this different thing that's going on. So it's that that you need to nab and really become very, very conscious of it. And then once you become conscious of it, when you reach for the phone, just say to yourself, this is not about me. Because when we're fearful, we're thinking about ourselves, right? But when you just say, this is not about me, I'm on a rescue mission. I'm here to make sure that families are protected. It's not about me. And you just punch in that number and you just get ready to have a conversation. How's that? That's amazing. I hear you talk. And you know who comes to mind, actually? I don't know if you ever heard of this gentleman, but his name is Bill Whitley. And he's a speaker and an influencer in the world of insurance. And he recommends that rather than you thinking of yourself as an insurance clerk, you think of yourself as the risk advisor. So I think when you think of yourself as a risk advisor, then it takes the pressure off of you to sell somebody something and actually advise them and let them know of all the risks that, like, that's present in their life and what they can do today by getting insurance to actually protect themselves and their family. Yeah. So everybody shakes it out a little bit different, right? Everybody shakes it out in a way that inspires them. It invigorates them. And the more they do it, the more success, right? And it's like, oh, this is fun. The better it gets, the better it gets. The more conversations you have and the more comfortable you get, it does get better and it's fun. Well, I think we're ready to go into our world famous E9. All right, you ready for the world famous E9? Sure. What's the last book that you read? It's Do the Work and it's an audio by Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about resistance because call reluctance is a resistance. Yeah, I'm a big Stephen Pressfield fan, without a doubt. His most famous book, War of Art, yeah, absolutely on my top five books of all time. If you're listening to this podcast and you have not read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, you are missing out. 
after this podcast and after you contact Connie, go to Amazon and you have to buy that book. Yes. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. What book do you recommend the most to others? Well, you know what? I customize it according to my clients. And there is one called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And so for the people that aren't convinced of their value, he's got a roadmap where you have a prospect who has a problem and they meet you. You're the guru, you're the authority that has empathy with them, who has a plan that calls them into action, that they avoid failure, that they end up in success. And it's an extremely well-written book. And that chapter really helps them recognize I am important. I am a valuable piece of the puzzle. And then another one is the 12-week year. Brian Moran, 12-week year, chapter three is only five pages around the emotional connection to the why behind what people are doing. And it is so good because it helps people convince themselves that they create twice, once in mind and then in their reality. So I just have different books, but those are the ones that are the most instrumental in helping people really get that nitty gritty traction in order to move forward. If you were not doing what you're doing today, what do you think you'd be doing? I had a radio show here in Phoenix and I loved it. I would probably be a radio show host or something like that because I love interviewing people and finding out what makes them tick. So that's probably what I'd be doing. What's your favorite non-work hobby? Hiking and appreciating nature. I love to travel. Always love to hear where people have traveled to. What's your most favorite place that you've ever visited? I was with a group of five women and we went to Rwanda and we actually did a workshop for the women in parliament in Rwanda. And it's the only country in the world that mandates that at least a third of their parliament be women. And I loved them and I loved it. And we talked about just different things that could help them help women think more entrepreneurially. So that was the ultimate because many women in Rwanda at that time, they thought, I just need to either weave baskets or sell fruit and carry around a basket with fruit and veggies on my head all day. And so we really, really worked with them on creating more of an entrepreneurial mindset so that they could go out into the villages and help women. So it was a life experience there. That sounds amazing. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is to remember who you are. Because at the end of the day, we're more than our physical body. So really remember who you are, remember. So there's a spiritual component there, but it's very powerful. What's the one thing you can't live without? I cannot live without books. I read five or six books at a time and I listen to books on audio. I'm a consistent learner. And anytime I go anywhere, I have to have a book just in case I get caught somewhere that they don't have anything to do. I can pull out my book. 
What's a place you haven't traveled to that you would love to travel to? I have been to South America and I have a really good friend that lives in Medellin, Colombia and is gorgeous there. And so I'd like to go to Colombia and see him and his family. Just a quick sidebar really quick. I would just like to say that Medellin is actually in Colombia. It's known as the land of eternal spring because it's got the best. It's like beautiful, beautiful weather. So you should definitely go. 100%. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right, Connie. Last question. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. So what is the one piece of leadership advice that you would give our audience? Work on lighting the fire within people versus trying to light the fire under them. Connie, this has been fantastic. I have learned so much over the past hour that we've been with you about sales call reluctance. I think this is great and it's going to be super impactful for our audience. For somebody that wants to get in touch with you, learn more about the assessment and how they can work with you and how you can impact them and their teams What's the best way for them to be able to get in touch with you? So you can pick up the phone and I'm going to give you my number 602-380-5431. Or you can certainly email me, Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, at exceptionalsales.com. And also on LinkedIn, Connie Gedansky. I'm the only sales call reluctance coach out there. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. We can message and we'll just take it from there. That's great. Connie, thank you so much for your time and hope we are able to have you back on in the future. Well, thank you very much. The thing that I enjoy the most about this podcast is how informative Connie was and how she gave actual dictionary level definitions to words that we throw around every single day. Words like fear, words like procrastination. Those are things that we use on a very daily basis, but realistically speaking, not all of us know exactly what they are. So I love how Connie directly addresses what they are, which then allows our listeners to fully understand it. That way they can go ahead and actually tackle it. In the case of selling, why is it that you're afraid? Not only did she say why people are typically afraid, but what they can do to actually just overcome their fear. So super pumped about this, super thankful that she came on the podcast. What are some takeaways that you got from it? There was just a lot of things she said that I think were just kind of key words. I mean, she said prospecting EKG, referral aversion, role rejection, those stereotypes. And even the definition of selling, I thought was good, where solving problems for a profit. Selling is solving problems for a profit. I mean, I thought that was great. I've never heard selling defined so succinctly. So I thought that was really good. Get in touch with Connie. If you are having maybe some of your team members in a sales position, even a service, we talk about that obviously in the interview about if they're having trouble to reach out to her, take that assessment for your current team. Obviously, if you're going to be recruiting for some salespeople, maybe you're already using some of the other tests that are out there. Uh, personality test. I think this would be a great compliment to what you're already doing to help you just get a little bit more. I mean, again, that prospecting EKG to really know it's worth the small investment whenever you're considering what you're going to be investing in this person to ensure that you're going to make the best decision. So give Connie a call. Really enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, Connie, for coming on. Hey, can you do us a favor? If you like the podcast, will you like it? Will you subscribe and will you leave a review? and share it with others. That would be fantastic. We've gotten some great feedback from our podcast guests and our podcast listeners. 
please continue to share that out there with everybody. We've really got some exciting things that are coming out with the podcast down the road. And as always, we want to give a shout out to our friends, Matt and Mandy Jones at Direct Clicks Inc., directclicksinc.com. Just great people. Reach out to them if they can help you with your marketing efforts. Until next time, Chris, lead well. And stay classy.